Hey folks, welcome to the show. This is Harry Campbell Radio. My name is Harry Campbell. I'll be your host. And today, funny enough, I'm here with my guest, Harry Campbell. He's my dad, and we have stories. So let's get started. But before we do, uh, I want to let you know that Harry Campbell Radio is currently, currently looking for sponsors. If you're interested, check out the link to my LinkedIn profile in the bio and we can go from there. Thank you. So I am Harrison Campbell, and I'm here with my dad, Harry Campbell, also Harrison Campbell, the first and only. And we're going to be talking about the coronavirus today. And dad, you were telling me about the specific time frame that you, that you had for the, for the coronavirus. It's stuck in your head in some way. What was sure. what were you saying about that? Um, I have a pretty good context about the dates for a couple of reasons. First of all, uh, I'm an Indiana basketball fan. And I'll explain that in a moment. But also because of my speaking business, I do keynote speeches around the country. Um, so the week of um, uh, March uh, 9th was fascinating. Wednesday, March 11th, Indiana played basketball in the Big Ten tournament in, um, uh, I believe it was in Indianapolis. And um, they won the game, and it was either that night or or early the next morning, the first NBA player was diagnosed with the disease. It was uh, Utah Jazz, I think his name was Rudy Gobert. And at that point, Everything was still on. When I say everything, I put that in quotes. And from that point on, almost everything went away. The NBA canceled their season, soon to be followed by um, uh, uh, the other uh, sporting leagues. And I put it in the context of sports because they were one of the most high – they were uh, very early in getting out ahead of this thing and stopping stuff. And so I know that because – I was following it. I wanted Indiana to do well in the tournament. Plus, it had to do with Selection Sunday for March Madness was five days away. Indiana won on Wednesday. They were scheduled to play on Thursday. And it wasn't until they were warming up, I think, that they even canceled that, those games on Thursday. So I had that context. And the other reason I had that context is that was Thursday, March 12th. On Friday, March 13th, I actually had a keynote speech to a company called Emory Sapp & Sons. They're a huge construction firm out of Columbia, Missouri. They're owned by their employees, so they're called an ESOP, and they have all of their employees, including all 1,100, come together for an annual meeting to announce the new share price and to announce a lot of things because everybody technically is an owner, technically uh, in reality. Their meeting this year was in Branson at the uh, convention center. I think it's the Hilton. And I didn't know whether it was going to be on or off. They had me doing the keynote speech uh, on my uh, new third book that's not quite out yet, but I still do speeches. I've started to do speeches on it called Get Real Mindset. Um, I was waiting for them to cancel. And when uh, Chris, my wife, and I were talking about it, we realized that if they had had this scheduled even two or three days later, it probably would have been canceled. But because it was on Friday the 13th, 
and everybody was already traveling into Branson, they went ahead and had the event. I just realized that I didn't want to do any uh, normal mingling. What I wanted to do was go down, make sure I understood the facility I was going to speak in, give my speech, and that's what I did. It, uh, Branson's a drive, so I didn't have to fly. All these things, uh, these specifics um, led me to to do the speech that wouldn't have happened if it was a couple days later. If it had been an airplane ride, I wouldn't have gone, but I went, gave it. Uh, that was Friday the 13th, which is kind of <laughs> uh, fascinating. Um, they paid me um, $10,000, and I give my uh, fees directly to charity. So I was able to raise a lot of money for charity, uh, Head for the Cure, and came back. And I thought, um, I didn't really think I was in danger. I wasn't worried about it. Uh, this was mid-March, but it was kind of on the very cutting edge of um, concerns about the virus and the spread and the increase in cases. Um, so I came back. We had friends over that weekend, had one of, um, we have a, obviously your, your brother's 11. He had a friend over on Tuesday, March 14th, the 17th. And from Tuesday, March 17th on, we have isolated ourselves. So that whole time frame, starting with the basketball game, Wednesday the 11th, through Tuesday the 17th of March I are very vivid about decisions we made and, and how we did this. We, we bought more groceries on the weekend and we were ready. And since March 17th, we have um, practiced, we have been sheltered at home. I have been chosen as the person that goes out, but maybe once a week I go out and buy groceries um, we have gotten together with no other families. We have not even done social distancing in the driveway or anything. We have basically isolated ourselves. We've done Zooms. We've stayed in touch with people on social media, but we have not done anything. And that's since Tuesday the 17th, which is what, coming up on five weeks? Six, almost. Six weeks. Wow. That's kind of an amazing thought. And and so And the the speed with which everything changed with regard to our lives was amazing when you make that decision. That's interesting. I never considered the almost catch up attitude that we had to take because everything around the world was happening. You'd see it in the news. Nobody really knew when to take it seriously, I think was the, was what sticks in my mind. And we, we don't know which straw broke the camel's back for, for this lockdown, I think. Mm. And there's well. a bunch of, you could rely on the data, you could rely on a bunch of different things. But I think that the U.S. was a bit behind in reacting because they didn't know exactly how to react because they didn't know what to watch. To I, I, think, to I, think that's, I think that's very fair. Um, I, I was intellectually interested I was curious, and we're talking about like the month of February in the first week, two of March, and I didn't discount it, but I think one of the things that's true of America is the oceans that sit on either side of us um, have, for the most part in our history, isolated us in a good way so we've been protected, so the wars are fought elsewhere. People don't come across the oceans to do that. Um, the virus doesn't uh, give a flying flip about that. And um, so I kind of knew that it was different, but I didn't really internalize it. 
because the way to think about it, if you look on a graph, it was almost immeasurable in the United States. But if we'd have been involved in any sort of scientific briefing, or if you talk to a doctor, and it might, I have a CEO peer group, and one of them is a pathologist, and he said, believe me, it's coming. It, it's not stoppable because um, you can't force everybody to lock down, and it only takes one person getting on one plane to go to one continent, and all of a sudden it's spread. And he said, it's just not realistic. And I was still learning and internalizing, and I realized the briefings that were happening in Washington or in Atlanta at the CDC or anywhere must have been fascinating because those must have been very pointed and much more alarmist than what we were hearing because the numbers were really low in the United States all the way through February. They were, like you said, immeasurable. Uh-huh. And I've seen the graph that you were talking about. The Johns Hopkins uh, has a great dashboard. I, I share it uh, every few days on my LinkedIn, a snapshot of Cook, Illinois data from the Johns Hopkins uh, website. Mm. And it shows great drill downs of different confirmed confirmed cases, confirmed recovered, confirmed (laughs) death um, across not just the U.S., but the whole world, which obviously taken with a grain of salt in some countries, but I think it's reliable in the U.S., which is most important to us, obviously. Mm -hmm. And... I think you're right. That graph is very interesting because around the world we're seeing, you saw a huge increase when the U S was still flatlined across the X axis mm-hmm. and nobody was really taking it seriously. Like you were not wrong to continue living your life from that Wednesday up until that Tuesday, you were doing the right thing by making decisions and thinking about it when it was in the back of your head. And there were, fanatics who were telling people that lockdown was coming, that it needed to happen, but nobody really takes fanatics seriously these days because you can really say anything and (laughs) it sort of goes in one ear and out the other. Alex Jones says a lot of stuff that he doesn't mean and he gets in trouble and people who understand logic and reasoning behind the spin of the media don't really listen to him or they shouldn't at least. Well, even, I don't know if you know, he went through a divorce and you ought to do a little research on his test. I think he did a, I'm pretty sure this is reasonably true. He, he, he went through a divorce and he had to do a deposition. Sure. He basically admitted in his deposition that he's an entertainer and he makes all this stuff up and that no one should believe him. He actually had to say that because he was under oath and he didn't want to lie. Right. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And, and it's people like him that exist. It's news entertainment. And that is the peak of news Mm -hmm. entertainment. And I think that that is not the full reason that people didn't take this seriously for the longest time, but it was, it played (laughs) a part in that. It it did play a part. The, um, the thing that uh, you, you do realize when you go back and read it, I think the timeline was uh, maybe the third week in January, the first case in the United States happened somewhere in Seattle. I, yeah, I believe Portland, it was. Maybe. And then they might they, they might have found some earlier ones now, but it's generally documented, right? I think it was January 20th or 21st. South Korea and the United States had their first case each. Mm-hmm. But basically, um, apparently there was a lot of briefings and a lot of info being passed on. It's not surprising. Um, Trump is not a big fan of science, 
nor did he want to mess with the economy. And so I think when the numbers were extraordinarily low and you have brilliant doctors and scientists telling you what's going to happen, it's still a little surreal to say, no, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? I, I don't believe it. I don't believe it at all. What I was saying was um, nobody in Kansas City would have been able to see anything much because we're talking about dozens of cases, not hundreds or thousands through February and early March. But it's now become clear that everybody who's anybody with regard to the scientific and and medical community would have said, all lights are flashing, you got to do this. And apparently there were even drills over the last two and three years to say, this is what we need to do. And um, we didn't do it. And as a result of that, um, I think the late start is making us um, have a lot worse impact than we would have. But you know what? One of the uh, truisms of uh, the world is you can't prove something that didn't happen. So if someone's opinion is that uh, we operated perfectly and millions would have died if we hadn't done what we did, I can't tell them they're crazy. All I can do is say, I don't agree. <laughs> right. That's true. It's, uh, yeah, you're exactly right. You, 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 you choose a path and anybody can say, well, if you'd have done this, this is what would have happened. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Whatever you say. Maybe. 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 Um, but the uh, the changes in our lives have been amazing, and it really hasn't been that long. No. It's only been a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, back to timelines. I'll share mine. Uh, I distinctly remember, <clears throat> I believe it was the week that you were speaking about previously, before the weekend that you started grocery shopping, I think it was the the week of the 13th, the Friday, the 13th. Right. Um, we got an email. Well, we had been having discussions. I'll go back a couple of weeks uh, about the virus. EY. And, yes. And we were getting internal communications and they were stressing that people who were showing any type of symptoms should work from home immediately with no hesitation in any way. Huh. People, tough people who typically come into work and fight through maybe a light cough, we're told to stay home. I don't think that's out of the ordinary. It was an interesting email to get because I think that it was on leadership's radar from an earlier point than that. But hard decisions weren't centralized until that Friday. The 13th? Yes. And I believe I received an email from the U.S. Uh, managing partner. Her name's Kelly Greer. She's very great. I I like her. Um, she instills hope, which is a good thing, at least in times like this. She sent an email and said that everybody who wa- was supposed to come into the office, non-essentials should work from home effective immediately. And that was a very quick change from the beginning of the week when they said, mm-hmm. Maybe work from home if you can. Sure, you have that choice. But then on Friday, they said you will work from home. And then that Sunday, I made the decision to just work from home from then on out. And oh no, no, that going forward, the email came on Monday. Friday was when it was a soft notice to work from home. Monday was a hard notice to work from home. Tuesday going forwards, I decided Sunday to work that whole week from home. That's how it went. That makes more sense. 
Um, so my decision-making was really driven by work. Mm-hmm. It was entirely driven by work actually, because that's, um, I don't have kids. I don't have a wife. I don't have anybody to, to, I'm not responsible for anybody. Mm-hmm. Job can be done remotely. I have a good internet connection. I have everything I need from my desk in my house. And there's no reason for me not to, to work from home. Um, so I was comfortable doing that. I have, a, I had a second monitor. I upgraded. I have two very large monitors. Now I barely have any peripheral vision when I'm sitting at my desk and that's how I like it. Um, but it's comfortable. Uh, it is, I have a bed that's about two feet from my desk. So I sort of wake up and roll out of bed and get some coffee and usually don't change my underwear and just go straight to work, which is sort of gross, but also the reality that I work long hours and it's not, I mean, I do shower, but I have, I cut my hair, I shaved my head for the, for this whole thing because it was getting long and out of control. And I think that I had clippers, so I just went for it. Um, but yeah, working from home is fine is what I'm trying to say. That's the point that I'm trying to drive home. I'm mm-hmm. relatively comfortable compared to my previous working existence. Um, I mean, I have bad days still when being cooped up isn't the best thing, but also if I go on a walk, then it usually takes care of it. Um, I think, I think one of the biggest changes that we're going to have, um, post COVID-19 is coming to grips with who's going to continue to work from home, what needs to happen and how, and what really is logical. We were basically forced to do this by a virus, but I'm thinking a pretty large swath of people are going to continue to work from home because they don't have to commute, you know, all these, there's specific reasons why. I think it's going to be a major change. That's interesting. And I think you're right. Who was, when you say work from home, before this whole thing happened, say nine months ago, when someone says, I work from home, what are the first three occupations that you assume they have? Um, I think of um, they're a salesperson. So they happen to be located in Kansas City and they have a geographic region that they sell something in. Their company is headquartered in Chicago. Um, and there aren't enough people in the Kansas City area to justify having office space. So everybody just uh, works out of their house whoever's in the market. Maybe there's five people from that company here. That's the first thing that that comes to mind. Um, How about you? Yeah. Entrepreneurs, I think was a big one for me. Somebody who owns their own business, maybe another version of a salesperson, but someone who is running an online, online site where they maybe make something in their house and sell it online. I would buy that only, but I would call that more of a startup because it, well, not necessarily, but I think of that as if there's going to be a one-person company, it, it really usually is in the idea phase or in the bootstrap phase, but that's mm-hmm. fair. I would agree that that would be a lot of people. Oh, so we're thinking corporate. Okay, so. <clears throat> no, I, you don't about... have to think corporate. I'm just, you, you said what comes to mind when you work at home. Mm-hmm. You don't think corporate people. I don't think of corporate people as working from home. <clears throat> Interesting. I didn't. <laughs> yeah. I think of tech tech companies as sort of the hybrid work from home, don't work yeah. from home. Yeah, that's fair. And and a lot of it depends on your job content mm-hmm. um, and whether you can work from home uh, more efficiently and effectively. There's also the uh, personal situation. If you've got uh, young children that normally go to school, now you don't have a choice, but in the fall, it's going to be different, right? Very We've different. kind of been forced to do a lot of things 
March, April, May uh, deal with the summer, but then what happens August 15th when the next school year happens? I think we're going to go back to sports. We're going to be back at school. And we're going to be back mostly at work. What does that look like? It's not going to be the same way it was. No, absolutely not. And, and how long will it take people to to get used to going back after 9-11 the airline industry took a huge hit because people stopped flying, obviously. And it takes a long time for people to get comfortable and then gradually they are. And then, then um, for the most part, it, the worries are gone. How long will it take for someone to be okay with going into a movie theater and sitting down next to someone they don't know and watching a movie? Without flinching every time they sneeze. Yes. It's interesting. I think it'll be more than months. Yep. And a lot of it depends on the data because if, if we we're now getting something around thirty thousand new cases identified a day, and that's a weird metric because you never really know how many are being tested. But thirty thousand, and as long as the number stays high and it keeps mounting, not necessarily even going up, but it stays there, I'm not sure people are going to be comfortable treating life as if um, it's okay. No. And I think you're exactly right. Um, something else with the tests that you mentioned, uh, the number of confirmed cases obviously goes up as the number of tests go up. And that's something I saw in the the brief analysis that I did of the Johns Hopkins data that I was looking at for Cook, Illinois, was that the number of increased case confirmed cases and the number of tests given had a 2% difference both times. So what that means to me is that they're only testing people who show positive symptoms, which if they want to give business leaders the opportunity to make the right decision to open businesses again, they should be testing people who may have antibodies yes. and non-symptomatic carriers, as well as non-symptomatic non-carriers, which are <clears throat> extremely important. And we're still in the reactionary phase. Mm -hmm. Lockdown is reactionary. Lockdown is put the perp in handcuffs before you get into the station. Then you can take his prints and figure out what you're going to do with him. But right now, he's in handcuffs, probably still at the crime scene. <laughs> They're still doing triage on the four people that he cut the fingers off of. We don't know. And we don't know what's going on. I think that's a pr pretty reasonable analogy. Um, and we lost about... I think in the hindsight analysis, we're going we're to assume that we missed, we lost about five or six weeks that we could have and should have taken action. And it, South Korea is an example um, of what they did. And I looked at their timeline. By the way, a, a, a trivia thing: I didn't realize South Korea had over fifty million people in it. I didn't realize it was that big. Mm. Um, it's a very large country with regard to population, and they they hosted the Olympics. You can't be a small country if you host the Olympics. Sure, you can. Sure you can. There's been a couple little ones. Sarajevo was in, um, what was the country? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Winter Olympics tend to be hosted by small uh, countries, um, but not, not Summer Olympics. But um, so and, and I'm not going to get into the South Korea time frame too deeply, but apparently we found our first case the same day as they did. And seven days after that, they had convened a major health summit with all of the right people in, figured out what they were going to do and implemented a plan which had had to do with lockdown. And I think in hindsight, 
it's going to show that they saved a lot of lives and they also shortened the duration of the problem pretty dramatically by taking um, very aggressive action. But That's a fascinating observation. <clears throat> and I'll back it up with this. I work with a man in Korea on a project <clears throat> that I'm doing. And I talk to G once a week. And wow. he was saying that I stay up late and I, I talk to him about the project that we're doing to get information. <laughs> and it's just easier if I stay up late instead of making him stay up late for the information. So um, we, we just talk. And he was saying that he hears the worst things about the American lockdown. Everything's closed. Nobody can go anywhere. And then he says that Korea restaurants barely closed. Um, they might be going back to the office relatively soon and people weren't nearly as worried. I think they took it really seriously and did three or four weeks of stringent controls and that's enabled them to have more flexibility um, after that. They absolutely did. And it doesn't mean that there's <clears throat> going to be international travel in and out of Korea. That's still something that definitely depends on other countries health standards and reactions. It's like you and the other families in the neighborhood. Matthew, my little brother, was able to play with one of his best friends because their other family, Nick's family, had similar lockdown processes, whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, looking for a word, uh, procedures, whatever. Yep. And then they treated uh, lockdown yep. the same way. We did that all the way to March 17th and then decided no, but um, we would be relatively comfortable still hanging around with them. But their dad, the dad still does some work at the office and we'd rather um, uh, be isolated. So it's that's probably fair. best. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Given his position, I think it's probably best. Um, you don't want to put that at risk. No. You know, I wrote down some things. Yeah, about the impacts were fascinating from a personal standpoint. I'm an extrovert and I really miss um, connections. So I, I also am I'm either on sabbatical or retired. It's been about 15, 16 months I've been doing this. So I'm not working from home and I'm not missing anything or whatever. Um, what I tended to do was do mentoring in person. Um, I'm quite involved in uh, startups and uh, angel investing and then a couple of uh, small companies we own. I can do all of this via Zoom and on the phone, but I don't get nearly the same satisfaction and um, uh, enjoyment out of it at all. And I, I, I really miss the, uh, the people side of this. Um, to, well, I guess it doesn't surprise me you can say you're stir crazy, but we can go out on bike rides. We can go for walks. We're not trapped in the house, <clears throat> but we're isolated from um, direct human. Inter- We've chosen not even to do social distancing on the driveway. I assume in the next few weeks we'll be able to, we'll feel comfortable doing that. We haven't even chosen to do that. We could, we don't. Um, and so we really miss the interaction more than anything. It's the same. I can still mentor and I do this all the time. I have a zoom every probably twice a day with somebody who wants some advice or I I don't have a consulting company because I chose not to make it into a business, but it's what I do for a living and I love it. 
but I still do not get nearly as much energy out of it because it's not live. That's interesting. <laughs> and is that a trait that you consider part of being an extrovert or just as uh, hmm. you, you enjoy work, you enjoy what you do, <clears throat> uh, you would go out of your way to mentor people even if you're an introvert, do you get a different sense of enjoyment because you believe yourself to be an optimist and an extrovert? I'm, I'm not sure. That's a fascinating question. I, I think part of it is, um, I'm not sure if this is extroversion, but what I do is I like to um, react to what's happening with a person. Um, my interpersonal skills, I understand. I'd like to read body language. I like to see moods. I, and all those things are diminished dramatically via electronic communication versus in person. Same thing with a speech. Giving a speech and transmitting it over the computer is um, possible and okay, but not fulfilling and not fun to me. Same thing as interaction. So I think that has to do with my want to connect with someone and the part of me that connects with them via body language. Um, vibes, mojo, and being in their same space that you can't get on the computer. And I'm not sure if that's extroversion or just um, connections. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it could be. Uh, hard to tell. But I, um, I am doing a lot more family time, and I really am enjoying that. Um, uh, Chris and I decided that I'm in charge of Matthew's schooling. He has four days a week, Monday through Thursday. He has um, e-learning he's expected to do. This is through the school. So I'm not the teacher. I'm the supervisor or the principal. I'm there with him. I see all of his assignments. I watch him. I, we do all this. It probably uh, takes him about two hours a day, not huge. Starts at nine. We start school at nine and goes to 11 and all the, the formats and the structures all set up by the school and I'm there helping. I have a website that I can log into as a parent supervisor. So I get all of his same info. So I'm following it on the computer and that's actually been pretty cool. The, the time with him, I had never done that before. So one of the most um, rewarding pieces of this being at home has been being much more involved with school with Matthew didn't think I would enjoy that that much, but it's just been pretty cool. It's another leadership opportunity. Hmm. Well, he, he, he is excelling too. And he takes it very seriously. He tries to rush the, everybody, every kid at the age of uh, 11, he's in sixth grade. is going to try to get to it because he wants to play. Um, the other thing that I'm doing is I'm doing a lot more around the house. Um, one of the agreements we had is because Chris does, so much work, not-for-profit and church work from the house, pre-virus, I would go and do all my interactions, which the advantage was I wanted to see people live, so I did, and I was gone for almost all day, every day. Now I'm around, and I'm doing a lot more in the house. <clears throat> I'm the vacuumer. Um, I'm the, the e-learner with Matthew and, and um, taking charge of some different things like that, and that's uh, um, it, I can't say that it's always rewarding, but it's actually kind of satisfying to contribute more. I'm not sure I would have thought that that would happen. Yeah. And that's, it's interesting you say that now that you're not forced to do it, but 
yeah. presented itself as an opportunity. And, and I have the time. I mean, it, it's not cutting into anything because I got so much time from when I wake up to when I go to bed um, that I, I think I don't resent it. So it works out real well. Hey, that's a great thing. Honestly. Mm-hmm. Let me talk about Zoom for a minute. It's fascinating. Yeah, um, one of the things I've done is I, I do a lot of Zooms. I'm, I'm in a formal mentoring program, the HEMP, Hillsburg Entrepreneurial Mentoring Program. And my mentee, I'm supposed to spend, have one meeting every two weeks. I'm supposed to understand his business and help him out. I talk to him for an hour twice a week now. We're very connected. We do Zooms. We do phone calls. And I love doing that. His business is actually an hour and a half away, and I did a lot previously electronically with him anyway, so I don't feel like I'm missing anything with him. Um, I love that. The Dienerfest crowd that I've been golfing with, it's about 15 guys. For 25 years, we've golfed together in Myrtle Beach in October. We do a weekly Zoom at 5.30 Central Time on Thursdays, and about somewhere between nine and 12 of us join and it has made our group tighter. And I think it's solidified um, the importance of our relationships and people that used to come sometimes some years and not other years, I think are more committed to coming now because we are spending every week we're together for an hour. And that was never true before, never. And so it's fascinating when I've seen that, that group has gotten tighter. That's um, that's an interesting observation. I'm noticing. Um, I'll go a, a couple steps further. We uh, Dan Hesse, who was the CEO of Embark and then of Sprint, was my boss for a while. He set up a reunion of the senior executives from Embark, and we got on the Zoom, and it was just absolutely invigorating. It was fun. We were jabbing at each other. We were catching each other up on our kids and our lives and stuff, and it was fascinating. We're going to do another one of those. And I have a reunion from Sprint that Tom Wigman, my former boss at um, Sprint, set up. It was a different set of people, separate from Embark, same thing. And I, I'm finding that all these connections are something that I wouldn't have done, that I'm enjoying. And then the question is, which one of these uh, groups will endure beyond virus? I think at least half of them will. And in some ways, it's going to take a person, maybe me or somebody else in one of those groups to make it happen and keep it going. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, do you see yourself playing that role, like the, the host of the party, basically? Um, probably with Dienerfest. Um, I'm the host of the, I'm the administrator of the WhatsApp uh, that we have. And everybody has still realized there's text messaging, but then we've got our own little group and they, they miss out when they're not in it. And I'm the administrator of that. I'm not the administrator of the Zoom. Mark Casey is out in California. Um, he just happens to be. So I think either he and I together or me are going to do that for uh, dinner, the, that group. Nice. That's great. Um, I've also got a few other friends, including some small business owners, Hunter Henry and Ashley and Corey Stipp and Jake Randall. And we do games. I think it's called jackbox.tv. And there's yeah, some with game- the Fibber and the. Yes. Yeah. I play <clears throat> that with Abe. And yeah. Yeah. We've I got games that. that we play and we do once a week or twice a week. We do a game night, um, maybe less an hour and a half or t- maybe two hours 
have a couple beers while you're doing it. And it's, I, I love it. Once again, will that continue? I'm guessing no, that won't because that's a form of entertainment that's taking up hours as opposed to um, uh, getting together. And I think when you can get together, you won't, but you don't get together as much as you would do the Zooms. True. We're going to have some yeah. interesting dynamic shifts with regard to relationships. And, and I think Zoom has become a word like Google. Um, the question is, which one of those lasts? And, and my prediction is in a year and a half, hardly anybody will do um, Zooms. I just don't think they'll last. I agree. Because we'll, <clears throat> I think it, traveling will be back by then. Yeah. And yeah. so instead of doing a Zoom call, every week you'll go and see somebody every two months or once a quarter or you'll stop. We'll do texting. Like we always do the dinner fest crowd. There's 15 of us. We do texting all the time. And then we see each other for four days a year in October. Yeah. That was, we always thought that was great. Now we have this weekly get together. The question is once the virus is over, will we continue to have the weekly get together on zoom? I, I think what will happen is it'll still, We'll still do it, but it will not be once a week. I think we'll go to every two to four weeks, which is way more than what we used to do, but way less than we're doing now. Interesting. Yeah. And I think you're right there. I think it's it's going to become a burden because people are going to prioritize in-person interactions over electronic conversations. <laughs> yeah. It's like being in a long-distance relationship. Mm-hmm. You're putting in the effort electronically, but you're getting nothing, none of the reward. Mm -hmm. your efforts and that can be difficult regardless of how close you are to that person you get rewarded every october for the time that you spend electronically with these people but now since you're trying to stay close you're trying to fill the time and you do care about them you go electronically but once lives go back to normal or whatever we're going to call it after this post-pandemic earth whatever then you're right. I think we'll we'll stop doing Zooms. Yeah, and it'll be gradual. It it what'll happen is once we go back to our normal lives, the Diener Fest crowds is a great example of why I'm talking about this. The reason I do is because none of them are in Kansas City. So mm. I will probably in a normal year I would see two or three of them live for one weekend other than the golf weekend. Sure. We text all the time. Now we're seeing each other frequently, and it sounds cool, but six months from now when our lives are moved on, you won't prioritize that one hour on Thursday night nearly as you do now. And then that means instead of 11 people, there'll be seven, and then there's five, and then all of a sudden you're like, I'll see you in October. Yeah. <laughs> That's why someone like me or somebody's got to keep it going and get the momentum. Otherwise, yeah. it it'll just it'll drift away. It won't fall apart, it'll just drift away. It will. It'll that people won't really notice that it's unraveling, <clears throat> but it won't be replaced by anything. That's fair. From a business from a business standpoint, um I did do the one speech to the executive MBA program. Um, all my other speeches, and I had a number of them scheduled, probably seven or eight, most of them out of town, have all been, uh, one was canceled 
and six were rescheduled for September, October. I think that's a bit of wishful thinking. I, I don't know whether they're going to happen or not, but it was fascinating. They were speeches to, um, they tend to be um, year in meetings for companies or associations that are having their annual meeting. And they, they had invited me to do that and uh, to be the keynote. And they've moved back. I don't know whether they'll be allowed. I think they'll be allowed. The question is whether they'll still be held or not. I don't know. Hmm. And so I, I've earned $30,000 so far this year for charity with my speeches. And I got very lucky. I almost never speak in January and February and early March. It just isn't the season for it. Sure. Um, I had a bunch of speeches, including a couple of very high-paying ones. So my charity money of, in the bank of 30000 is good. Normally, I would have been about 10000 now, and I would have been staring at a year where I don't make much money from a speaking standpoint for charity. Sure. But um, I started strong, and hopefully um, I'll have a great fourth quarter, and I'll end up with a pretty decent year. We'll see. I think it's how you continue to reach out to people and schedule them on either on the, on the back end of this, Mm -hmm. because if you, what my recommendation and my, my thought on this, take it as you will, is that the more you approach people during this time and say, Hey, this is crazy. I know that, uh, you've, you're probably occupied, but you're also bored at the same time, which like a lot of people, maybe you could start thinking about me. Um, after everything is over, my speeches will have a bit of a, a twist on leadership and change with regards to global anomalies, global uh, global impact of events. Mm-hmm. And, and here's how I'm changing. Here's why you should hire me after all of this, because I'm going to talk about what might be changing. And here's the benefit that, that you could get from, from this speech, because I understand that things are changing. And here's my perspective on how things are changing. Here's why you should listen to my perspective because I'm a highly respected person and that's why you should hire me. And so I feel like if you go back to your normal speeches, the way they were before, people are going to say, Oh, did he even know that it happened? Why did like, why is he just still talking about like culture and leadership the way that it was? And I know everybody and their mom's going to be talking about this thing for as long as we can we can predict that's not it's true like it's the only thing on the news cycle for god knows how long a couple points um i agree completely i you have to put into context what's happening now if you're going to be um valued as a speaker um the first thing that i'll say is um i've told a number of people that it depends on your category you're in in your business. But in general, I think the employers that treat their employees really well right now are going to win because some businesses are going to go under. The demand is still going to be there and you have the opportunity to kill it. I think if your employees are on your side and ready to roll and they come out of this like a rocket. So I, I say that if, if you can afford to, and it's a matter of you making less money, not survival. If it's you making less money, I would pay my employees to stay around and be ready to go when this thing comes out, if you can. And and that's why I believe culture matters because if you continually have to replace people or start fresh with people, you never get 
full productivity because you're always training and you're, and you're always having people not know what they're supposed to be doing instead of being um, ridiculously efficient and effective. And so I think my culture speech is going to incorporate that about how you treat employees when you can um, and treating them well because it, it will come back to you in spades. I agree. And, and if you're greedy and you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. I want to pay any bit, buddy. That's okay. I'll lay them off and then I'll hire them back in four months. Be careful. Be careful. Oh. And then the other thing that's a little, um, it's going to work for me is my third book, which I haven't rushed to get it out, even though it's basically done. It's being minor edited now because I didn't really want to put it out when things were uh, lost in the news cycle, but I would like to get it out while quarantine is around. The, it, it's about get real mindset. And there's three points, be an attractor, embrace the crookedness of life and live to learn. The second one, the crookedness of life. Think about that. You had a business. Maybe I have a friend that bought a business in January. Yeah. He basically wasted his money because it, it had to close and he was done. I mean, yep. you, think about how you handle those things and what you do. And, and, and the next time you enter into something, what you think about and how that affects you. Think about me. I was doing all sorts of things around the house and doing things. And I go on a bike ride and I shred my right rotator cuff. And now I'm going to get surgery and have to do PT during quarantine. It's nuts. Um, now, Good news. Yeah, it is. It, it, I, so I'm really actually excited about taking the mindset book and putting the context of the uh, the virus around it, the cultural one too. And of course, leadership falls right into that because just, just think about what uh, put uh, Cuomo up there and his and how he uses straight talk. And fa- I like to say he faces the brutal facts, but he still has optimism and hope. And then you put uh, the president who's you know, doing off the cuff, crazy uh, thoughts about uh, disinfectants or the malaria drug or something like that. Leadership is never more important at a time like this. Even if you hate the government, when something like this happens, you need the government to operate well. You need it. You need local, state and federal government to operate well, because otherwise there's a bit of chaos. When you say operate well, you mean operate together? Um, well, yeah, they need to communicate and cooperate, but they don't have to operate together. They need the because they, they have different functions. The city of Overland Park needs to figure out, okay, when are we going to do disaster warnings? How are we going to do this? What are we going to do? The mayor, you know, the, the governor, the federal, they all need to know what each other's doing so they're not stepping on each other's messaging. So I would say working together from that standpoint, they can be um, – different because they have different um, uh, specific responsibilities, but um, I'll buy that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's a team and, sport after all. It's a non-contact team sport. Yes. And, you know, it, it to run a big business is complicated and you realize that. And, and I've run um, a couple of big businesses because the people, you know, you have, I think the maximum number of people I had in my org was 4,000 at once. And you realize that these 50 to 200 people over here, if they're getting the wrong message or their leader's not on board with what it needs to be happening, they can go off in a direction and they're not going to kill the business, 
But what they're going to do is they're going to make it so that you're not nearly as effective as you should be. You're spending time doing things you shouldn't have to do. And therefore, you're not focusing on driving growth and beating the competition. You're messing around with this over here. It's just, it's just common sense. It is common sense. And there's no reason to just put life on pause during this whole thing and not recognize the <laughs> fact that it's going to be different when we come out of it. And if you don't change it, or at least consider changing every aspect of your business and your life going through this whole thing, then you're going to be behind. I'll tell you that right now. I'll tell you mm-hmm. that for free. Honestly, you got to reconsider everything. Yep. Truly. I'm reconsidering my skills, my habits, my hobbies, hmm. everything. You have to make yourself into the person that's going to fit into the post-pandemic world. And granted, it's not going to crack the earth in half. I'm not saying go out and go into the middle of the desert and start (laughs) an acid cult. Don't do that. That's not what you should be doing. But what I am saying is, like I said earlier about your speeches, you have to recognize the impact that this whole thing is going to have on it. And then you have to do what I call looking at the closet. Everybody throws things into their closet. There's stuff in the back of your closet that you don't know it's even there. And it's fine if it's there when you don't need it because it sits there until you move. But suddenly everybody's moving all at once and they need boxes and boxes of stuff. And if all those boxes are piled in your room, you're going to have to fill them before you move with all of your stuff. Yeah. So you're rooting through your closet. You're figuring out what you have. You're taking inventory. You see all of your shirts hanging. They're neat in a row. All the buttons are there. You see all your shoes hanging. You see all your ties hanging. But all of a sudden, you look at your closet and you say, I haven't worn that shirt in ages. Do I really want to take it with me when I move? And if someone, if the landlord knocks at your door, if COVID, the landlord knocks at your door and says, you're being evicted, Mm. and you say, no, I'm not. And then the next tenant comes knocking at your door and says, get out. This is my apartment now. You have to move very quickly to get out because they are there and they are ready to live where you live. And you have to take inventory much quicker than you did if you had done it before you knew. Mm-hmm. And it happened when the landlord first knocked and gave you fair warning. So when you look at your closet, take the right inventory and make sure that you change what you need to change. You're going to keep your suits. You're going to keep your shirts. You're going to keep your ties, your nice shoes whatever. You might throw out that old pair of flip-flops. You might even throw out some old streamers from a weird party you went to that one time that you're not friends with the people anymore. (laughs) I don't know. Whatever. It's trash. Get rid of it. You still have the memory. But what I'm trying to say is you take inventory when someone tells you to take inventory. Trim the fat and don't don't take any prisoners. Yeah. Because it's going to be different and in some ways it's going to be better. In some ways it's going to be worse, but you got to be ready for it. Yeah, I think that's right. And and Zoom is a great example. It, it 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 is something that is very normal now. Everybody's gone through the growing pains of wait a minute, how do I do this? And you know, I think eighty percent of the people know how to use it pretty darn well now. My mom is going to use it. You know, we got Dave and Joan. The first few yeah. times they were on, they were they didn't know what the hell they were doing, and now they got it right. Grandpa was on thirty minutes early on his laptop with his <laughs> audio synced up. We got him. He's ready. And that's going to translate. That's going to translate to business. Some people, even with sales, are going to start doing more Zoom and less travel. Um, I think some businesses and products lend themselves to being able to get yeses that way. Some you need to be in person. But that's going to change. It is. You're exactly right. 
And the people who want to develop their skills on a digital platform, who understand that it's going to take place in a digital platform going forward, are the ones who are going to be ahead. They're the ones who look in their closet and say, hey, this thing was at the very back, but what, I'm going to, what, what am I going to do? I'm going to bring it out. I'm going to put it on the kitchen counter, and I'm going to polish it up and make sure that it's ready for anybody who comes into the kitchen and sees it. Um, I would agree completely. Um, personal lives and business lives are being changed pretty dramatically. This is a moment, just like the Great Recession, which played out over more time frame, but 9-11, yeah. th- these things happen, that all of a sudden you realize things change. And I asked a question the other day of somebody. I said, what do you think is going to be the major thing that is obviously the result of the virus that happened structurally in the United States. I said, for example, for 9-11, airline travel was changed forever. Prior to 9-11, my goal was to get to the plane four minutes before it took off. As long as it didn't close the door, I was okay, right? The thing is, you weren't considered a daredevil back then. You were just a traveler. That was just normal. Now, TSA didn't exist. Homeland Security didn't exist. Now you've got all these things. You've got, it's normal. You take your shoes off to get on an airplane, right? I'm not saying that's wrong or bad. I'm saying that is a fundamental result of what happened on 9-11. What's going to change as a result of um, COVID? I think work from home is going to be huge. I think, therefore, the office, rental office space business may be in deep trouble. Because I think more people will want to work from home. Think about the time savings. If you drive, if you only drive 30 minutes one way to work, an hour a day times 250 uh, um, days a year. Wow. That's 10. No, it isn't times three. That's 30 work days a year you save by um, working from your house. That's a lot. That's now, a lot. that's good for people. It can be, depending on their scenario, but it's also good. It's cheaper for companies that don't have to lease space. Um, it, it, I mean, wow. I think the work from home is good. that one. And the other one is um, our medical. We're going to have to do a, a complete redo of our health care. Um, the idea of tying health care to your employment may actually die as a result of this um, because – 20 million people are unemployed. And if you're unemployed, you don't, you don't have health care. And you know what happens when, you, when people don't have health care? They go to the ER. Yeah, because they have to take them. They do. It, and then they get a bill and then they don't pay their bill. Exactly. And I think that's going to change. Are you aware of why the United States has health care tied to employment? This is fascinating. I read this. It, I read, it, mm, it, oh, it, give me a second. I know this. I... It's actually pretty Wasn't cool. Was the breakdown of unions? Um, no, it was post-World War II. There were wage freezes. Or is that completely off? It, 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 there were wage freezes post-World War II, um, and companies could not offer more money, to, and they needed great workers. And so they started getting creative and offering other mm. things in addition to pay, mm. including health care plans. So wages froze. Capitalism says, I need to give you value to come work for me. I can't give you more money. Therefore, I'm going to give you great health care. And we are the only, I think, we're the only developed country in the world that actually has health care tied to your um, employment. And it really is kind of silly. If you're running, you're running idle smart. 
I understand kind of logistically how I can give healthcare to my people, but why do I even care? There should be something else somewhere else that handles that because I'm trying to sell products to trucking companies. <laughs> I, I'm trying to sell products to trucking companies. I, I'm not, I'm not, I, I want my employees to be healthy, but that that is not something that I'm an expert at. It has nothing to do with me. No. And the problem is you're expected to hire someone who is an expert who can take care of the people's health insurance. Yes. Which is inefficient. And I don't think we'll go to socialized medicine, but we may go to single payer. I, Medicare for, I don't know what we're going to do, but we also have um, an incredible percentage of people, especially now, uninsured. Um, with the ACA, the uninsured rate had gone down pretty dramatically, but um, the Trump administration has kind of whacked a lot of that and it's gone way back up. I read the other day that in Texas, uh, 28% of the people are uninsured. Ow. That's a big number. How'd you like to operate in the healthcare system of a state that has 28% uh, uninsured? <laughs> what? So the market reaction to that, uh, I think we'll see a drop in the quality of care because doctors who aren't getting paid won't be there. Hmm. Um, Rural areas lose their, lose a lot of doctors and hospitals because they, there's no reason for them to stay because they, they tend to be poorer, right? Yep. It's like practicing medicine in a Caribbean nation. You go because you want to practice medicine. I'm not saying you're the best heart surgeon in the world. It's yep. sort of the reality of the market. So the question is, what is the, what, what are the one, two, or three major changes that we're going to look back on and go, oh, okay. And because that's what I look at is airline travel changed fundamentally and dramatically with the TSA and Homeland Security and everything. Yeah. What will happen as a result? Hey, man, this was great. All right. Thanks for doing this. Uh, uh, you know what? what? I enjoyed it. It was good to connect with you. And uh, yeah. uh, if I can see it too, great. If not, if you can't make it, I understand. No big deal. We got the Abbott thing going. <laughs> and then the Campbell's tomorrow. Yeah. Don't. Uh, is there another one? Yeah, it's um, with my mom and Amelia and Christian oh, Lindsay. Better. Yeah, Did I we think get it, the Zoom invite for that. You should have gotten an email. I'll check my email. Yeah. Sorry. All right. Cool. Love you. That was love this you, was great. I'll send have you a, a, a feedback. All right. Bye bye. Yeah, please do. Bye bye.